morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. We're going to begin a, st- a series on stewardship, what it means for us to take care of the stuff that we have been given, specifically given by God. Turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy. The title of the message today is Stewardship. We're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 29. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Moses is speaking, and he says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us, and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Let me read it again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. Lord, help us as we study. This passage ends a period in the book of Deuteronomy of Moses recounting the law. Deuteronomy literally means second law. This is the group of people that were about to enter into the promised land. The first group of Israelites that that came out of Egypt from the age of 20 up passed away. They died in the wilderness. But those from the age of 20 down survived. And this was the second generation. And Moses wanted to make sure they understood exactly what was required of them by God. The first ten ten chapters give a history of their journey through the wilderness from the time they exited Egypt to the time now that they're about to enter into the promised land. The next 20 or 19 chapters are, are resuscitation of the law. And... Moses is doing everything he can to try to make sure that this people don't make the mistakes that their forefathers did. And at the very end of this summary and second given of the law, he says this. There are things that are covered. We can't do anything about that. They belong to God. But the things that are revealed, they belong to us, to us, our, our sons forever. And we have a responsibility then to do something with them, and that is to observe the law. And today we're going to talk about those two things, things that are covered and things that are revealed. There, there are things that, that we just will never know about. Specifically, Moses is trying to convey that I have given you everything I know that God has told me about the law. But there's so much more that God has to say, but he hadn't hadn't uncovered it yet. He hadn't revealed it. And so the things that he has revealed, you're responsible for. The things that he is not, you are not. Whatever he has revealed to man, then we we have a responsibility to be good stewards over. Those which he has not revealed, we have no responsibility because we have no idea what they are. That does not mean that you are absolved from responsibility to obey him if you do not know a particular command that he has revealed. Because if he has revealed it, then it's your job to seek it out. Now, the stuff that he has not revealed, you can seek all day long, and generally you ain't going to get it. 
Not generally. You won't get it because the only reason we understand anything about him is because he reveals it. That's it. There is no other way for us to, dis- to discern who he is or his will. But when he does reveal it, then it's our responsibility to seek it. Now, because we don't know sometimes the difference between that which he reveals and that which he covers, our responsibility is to seek it all. But when we don't find the stuff that he has covered because it's, it's unsearchable, then it's, it's our responsibility to make sure we don't fill in the blanks with our own ideas. Are you listening to me? So there are some things he has covered, such as how the world was made. Now, we understand that it was made in six days. We get that. And the word days there is really better translated eras. But regardless of whether you look at it as a 24-hour period or a time period that was over many, many years, no question that God made the earth and the heavens. That it didn't just happen because of a big bang. Now, I am am a, a, a biology major. That's 30 years ago I got that. Science has changed quite a bit. But I loved biology. My favorite class in all of my four years of college, uh, undergrad, was parasitology. Now, I know you might sound that, find that a little strange, Paras- study of parasites. But it was all about life cycles and how things began and how it worked through to the end and how they procreated. And I thought it just fascinating. Now you get some insight into how my mind works. And many of you are thinking, this is not the church I thought it was going (laughs) to. But that translates directly into how I study my Bible. I want to know how stuff works. What was he thinking when he said that? Who was he writing to when he said it? What were they going through when he was writing? What was he going through when he was writing? I'm into this thing trying to unearth all the stuff that's behind the scenes. And, and, and with respect to creation, we, we really don't know. I mean, we know God created the world, but we don't know what happened at the molecular level. We don't know. And because we don't know and it has not yet been revealed, doesn't mean we shouldn't, shouldn't search it out. But what happens is man tries to fill in the blanks with stuff they don't know because God hasn't given them all the information. And that's where we get to the point where we begin to say what happened. And when it disagrees with what God said in the big picture, because we're trying to put together all the little pieces, we then get wrong information and come to wrong conclusions about what God has done or has not done. Because we're trying to fill it in with our own ideas. I hope you're hearing what I'm not saying. There are some things you don't know what's really going to happen tomorrow. Now you realize you're going to get up and work 8 to 6. We don't work 9 to 5s here. It's 8 to 6. And, and you're going to go to You realize it's going to be pretty much as usual, but you have no idea what's going to happen and who's going to say what and new responsibilities that might come to you and what curves might be thrown at you. You don't know. You don't know really how you're going to die. And some stuff you don't want to know. You, you know I mean, I have, I have a plan. That somewhere around 119, I'm there with my bride in my bed and we're holding hands. And we wake up in heaven. That's my plan. But I have a feeling, I just have a feeling that's probably not going to work like that. And I'd rather not know. Surprise me, oh God. Please. Don't let me know. Don't, don't, Peter. (laughs) Do you love me? Yeah, I, I do. 
Well, care for my lambs. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I will care for my sheep. Why do you keep asking me this question? Well, there's going to come a time where people kind of stretch you out and take you where you don't want to go. But that was, that's too much information, Jesus. I wasn't looking for that. What he was talking about is the kind of death he was going to have to suffer. I'd kind of like to be surprised. Some stuff God just hasn't revealed and you ought to be grateful for because you don't need it. And, And the areas that are covered, we need to really walk by faith in and trust him rather than trying to make up our own ideas about how to fill in the blanks. But then there are the things that he has revealed. And the things that he has revealed, we are responsible for. And if he has revealed it, then we must become stewards over it. We can't just leave it lying around. And that's why coming to church, although I am so grateful you're here and, and happy that you keep coming. I really, really am. And I don't want you to stop. Bring all your friends. We want to touch this, this community with the gospel. But church is dangerous. It's dangerous. Because as you listen to me, now you become more accountable for the stuff that you must do and live. You've, you've understood it. You heard it. Now you've got to go out and do it. It's dangerous. More information, more accountability. The more God reveals, the better steward he he requires you to be. There's a direct correlation between that which he reveals and that which you steward. And he is holding us accountable to steward all that we know we're supposed to. Everything. And there are some things that he has revealed to us that our, our big category things that I'd like to, to talk to you today about. One, as he has revealed who the Son of God is, it's our responsibility to, to take that information and do what we should. The fact that, that Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 16 that you got this information that I am the Son of God by revelation from God, meaning God revealed it to you, the Father revealed it to you. You can't get that information just by head knowledge. You can read your Bible and understand the fact, but the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he actually came to be a redemptive benefit for your life, that only comes by revelation. And the beauty is this. It's proof that God still speaks today. Because if you have come to the knowledge of the truth, the only way you got there, if you have come to the understanding of what it means to be a Christian, the only way you got there is because God himself revealed it to you. It didn't come because I preached it so well. It didn't come because somebody else led you through a Bible study so adeptly. It came because the Father, through all of those means, revealed Jesus Christ to you. You knew it to be, many of you knew it to be true for years. Head knowledge, fact, but it made no difference to you. When it became revelation, it made a difference. The fact that God has revealed his son to us allows us the privilege of being saved. And oh, we need to do something with that. We need to become good stewards of that. What, how are you stewarding the information that that God has revealed to you. What are you doing to try to bring increase, to make sure that the the master who went on the long journey and left some stewards in charge receives some benefit from your labor? Matthew 25, 
It says, a master went on a long journey, and he left some, some stewards in charge of his resources. He gave one five talents, gave one two talents, and gave one one talent, each according to their ability. So the one who had five had greater ability than the one who had two, and the one who had two had greater ability than the one who had one. And he said to them, I'm going on a long journey. Work with these things until I return. And a talent has nothing to do with your physical ability. In scripture, a talent was a unit of measure, a hundred pounds of anything. So to the first who had the greatest ability, 500 pounds, maybe gold and silver. Second, 200 pounds of gold or silver. Third, 100 pounds. Work with it until I come. They knew what that meant. Give me a return. When I come back, I'm looking to see how successful you were with what I gave you. And he returned. And the one who had five talents, was given five talents, gained five more. The master said to him, well done. Come into the joy of your master. Let me, let me let you experience how happy I am about what you have done. The one who had two gained two more. The master said to him, well done. So proud of you. Come into the joy of your master. Let me let you experience how happy I am about what you have done. The one who had one said, I got a better idea. I'm going to go bury this thing because I know he's tough. And when he returns, at least I'll be able to give him what he gave me. The man who had one came and brought him his one. The master said to him, what was this? He said, well, I knew you were tough. So, you know, you, you reap where you don't sow, and you're really a hard task master, and you are very, very difficult when it comes to accountability. So I didn't want to lose it. I decided to bury it, and here is what you gave me. I haven't lost it. The master said, dude, you could have at least put it in the bank. You buried it? He said, you no longer have the privilege of being my steward. I'm taking what you got. And I'm giving it to the one who had five. You're a wicked and lazy servant. Now, I really don't believe that, that Jesus was specifically talking about material wealth with respect to what we need to do with the stuff, meaning that he was superimposing this parable over his life, and he was the master who was leaving, and he was giving stuff to people and, and saying, work with it until I return. And I, I don't think he was probably talking about material possessions. I think he was, he was probably talking about the thing of greatest value, which is this beautiful message about who he is. Paul, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he was a five-talent guy. He was a five guy, forgive the pun. He was amazing. Ama more ability more physical talent, more endurance, a greater mind, a sensitivity in the spirit to break out of his common mold of Jewish heritage and go beyond himself to reach people like us. He was amazing. God said, I've given you five. And from what I can see, Paul like multiplied that by 10 or 12, not just two. Amazing man. Thomas, James, two. Brett, point one. And I'm not mad about that. When I put myself in comparison with the great saints of old, I, I, 
I'm very small. I, I realize who I'm not. And the only thing that, that, the only reason God wrings his little bit of juice out of me that he possibly can is because he is really patient with me. He didn't have much to work with when he got me. But I'm doing all I can to make my point one, point two. You with me? I'm taking this gospel and I'm doing what I can to make sure that when he returns, he gets something for my labor. May I ask you, what are you doing with the information about the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you bringing the Master any increase in your personal life? Or have you buried it in your heart? Thinking, well, my religion is really my thing. I don't want to force it on nobody. It's a personal thing, isn't it? I don't want to be so, so caustic or confronted that somebody now is turned off by my, by, my witness. There's nothing appealing about the cross. There's nothing appealing about dying. It's going to require sacrifice. Yes, it's going to be offensive any way you cut it. Now, you ought to not be offensive. But the message is, and the goal is for you to become so palatable to somebody else that you don't become a hindrance to what you're trying to communicate. That they don't have to, they don't have to jump over you to get to Jesus. You aren't the speed bump that makes them slow down. And I realize you're concerned about how you can present it. You don't know all the right scriptures. I got that. That's why you come to church on more than just Sunday. Because we do everything we possibly can to equip you to be the best possible minister so you can do something with this stewardship you've got that when Jesus comes back, you can give him something for what he gave you. Return some benefit to him. We're stewards. What has been revealed? You're responsible to steward. Secondly, your calling. Your calling is, is that which God specifically reveals to you about why you're on the planet. And that, that, that takes a little while. Generally, you don't get an idea about what your ultimate purpose is until you've walked with him a little while. Every once in a while it happens unusually when Paul, who was Saul at the time in Acts chapter 9, gets right with God. Ananias, who happens to be his first discipler, is told by God, go to this man named Saul of Tarsus. Tell him what I have called him to and how he must suffer for my name. And he, Ananias baptizes him and prophesies exactly what God has called Saul to, who would later become Paul. And that happens every once in a while. But for the most part, most Christians are in the dark until they get to the point they can handle the information that God wants to give them regarding what they're supposed to do ultimately. And it takes a lot of seeking. Listen to me. The revelation he wants to give is generally not revealed to the casual inquirer. Are you listening to me? Just because you happen to swim in the ocean doesn't mean you're going to find all that you need. Simply because you are in the right environment, don't believe it's going to come by osmosis to you. You'll get more than if you were not here. But the, the real jewels are not lying around on 14th and K. Diamonds are under the earth. You want to find out the real value? You're going to have to do some digging. You're going to have to do some seeking, some searching. True enough, God, God reveals it. 
but he's, he's not looking to show and reveal valuable things to those who won't, who won't make the effort to find them because the effort to find them shows a whole lot about what they're going to do with them when they get them. Hebrews chapter 11. God wants to reveal himself to those who diligently, verse 6, seek him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your ultimate purpose is generally hidden. But as you continue to seek him, oh, it gets clearer and clearer. It grows brighter and brighter until the full day. You need to find out what that is. Please do not go to your deathbed trying to figure out, why was I here? Amen. Don't do that. And because we have ideas of grandeur about which is the most important spot to shoot for with respect to our own calling, we always are trying to relegate the idea of calling to this spot right here, the stool upon which I sit, or the pulpit behind which somebody speaks. That's not it. You have callings that I do not. And because you do what you do and I do what, what, what I do, the body works together as it should. Today, I am the mouthpiece. You need to be the feet and the hands that go out and take whatever you know to be true out to the community in your sphere of influence. I will never touch the people that you come in contact with. You're going to have to touch them. Everybody has a role, and your role is extremely important. Some of you think, well, I'm just a mom at home with a three-year-old. Raise that three-year-old right. If you don't know what else to do, do that right. I'm a single mama of a 16-year-old. I'm not quite sure whether I can do anything for God. Oh, I am the son of a single mama. Are you listening to me? What you can't do, nothing. Oh, my mama's gone on to be with the Lord, but she's smiling right now. She's a happy lady. Yeah, because she's in the presence of God and every once in a while she turns an ear to what I'm saying on a Sunday morning. But she's proud of her boy. And her legacy of whatever she knew to be true about the Bible is now living on through me. And my sister that my wife was able to lead to the Lord. And my brother that I was able to lead to the Lord. And his son, who's now a a football player at UCLA, that I led to the Lord. It keeps going because mama said, I may not be able to preach. I may not be able to go on a mission field. But I can raise my boy right. She didn't even know all the scriptures. She just taught me the Lord's Prayer. And and then gave me some manners. I mean, I know where the fork ought to go on the table. <laughs> some of y'all don't know where the fork ought to go. <laughs> I was raised by the mama who wouldn't let her, her son put his elbows on the table. Anybody raised by my mama? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Things like that. Thank God for mama. You are called to do something great. And, and as you search for it and God reveals it, oh, do something with it. Thirdly, your, your people. Your people. It's important for you to, to realize what you are called to do. But of equal importance is, is for you to figure out with whom you're called to do it. Less than ever. God is is looking for superstars. Less than ever. He wants a people that can be great. 
He's looking for a group of folks that can hang together and, and fulfill what Jesus said. By your love for one another, you'll be a witness of me. By your love for each other, they will know that you are my disciples. That's what he said. He's looking for that. When you find your people, your purpose gets amplified. When you find those with whom you're supposed to walk and fulfill your calling, all of a sudden, your, 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 your idea about who you are and what you do gets, gets more pointed and honed than ever before. And it is critical that you find your people. When God reveals to you your people, you need to do something with that insight and become a good steward over those resources. You want to preserve the relationships with all the tools that God has given you because he's revealed to you your people. This is why he said, in terms of the, the strongest relationship on the planet, marriage, what I put together, don't you separate. Because you found your person, and your person is going to amplify your purpose. If you, if you cast off your person, you will not fulfill exactly what I called you to fulfill. Now, some of you have been through bad situations. I got that. There are people that, whose marriages have ended in divorce. I got it. God is a restorer. He can fix what's broken. He can, he can take stuff that's all messed up and make it as if that was supposed to be that way to be a springboard to your destiny. I don't know how he does that, but he does it. He believes that he can fix your life and help you. So don't take what I, I said to somehow be a death nail in your, your purpose and destiny. I'm just saying to the people who are struggling through trying to figure out what in the world does this person who is pulling me down every day have to do with my goodness? How are they supposed to help me to get to where I'm supposed to be right now? They seem to be helping me get to the wrong spot. Your spouse, your friend that you do not like. are the greatest encouragement for you to pick up your cross every day. It's a great reminder. Pick up your cross every day. Every day. Every day. But Lord, they're hard to get along with. They, they, don't, they always say the wrong thing, and then they say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But I feel like they meant that. Anybody know a friend like that? By the way, you're probably that friend to somebody. They always do that thing, and, and then they walk away happy, and I'm thinking, what did they really mean? What? What? And, and God will whisper to you if you're listening, yeah, it's a lot like you and me, isn't it? You always say that thing that's, that's just a little, one of those, Lord, if you love me, you, you will. Are, are, you, are you accusing me of not loving you or are you testing me? What do you mean by that? Kind of like you, aren't they? And yet, have I withdrawn my love from you? I continue to reach out to you because God has set this principle in motion. He has people through whom he is best going to do his purpose in the earth. And he has chosen a people called his church 
to bring about his will on the planet, and he does not want to forsake them. Too much has been sacrificed for their and his benefit. Are you listening to me? When you find your people, you figure out how to stay with them. I've had the privilege of walking with the same people for 32 years. Ron Lewis, pastor in North Carolina, Kings Park International Church, fabulous man. He and I have been friends since 1981. Grew up together in ministry. Our kids know one another. Been to conferences all our adult lives. Now we're watching grandkids on his side come about. We're seeing us pray for one another. I've married so many of my friends' kids. Pastor Duke, 18 years. Pastor Jim, 17 years. Daryl Green, 30 years. I married his boy right here, Jared. Saw him born in a hospital. Was there when he came out of mama. This is how we do relationships. Because when you find your people, your purpose becomes amplified. You understand what you're called to do and who, with whom you're called to do it. And then lastly, material resources. When God reveals to you your job, love him for it. When you were unemployed, you prayed for that job. God, I need work. I need work. 18 months later, Lord, I need different work. I can't stand these people. I, they just crazy every day. This is nuts. I have to pray and fast just to go to work to stay, stay clear-headed in my environment. It's just, whoo-hoo. <laughs> when you find your resources, you then become a steward over them. God, ra rather than trying to figure out how to get out, Lord, what are you doing in? What are you doing in this? I don't like it. It's a very sordid environment. People talking about one another and, and folks cursing and, and underhanded deals going around. It just doesn't seem like a place where a Christian ought to be. I can't, can't flourish in that environment. Well, where is salt supposed to be? Where is light supposed to be? You need to figure out how can I be a good steward of this resource God has given me? He revealed to me this job. Therefore, there's got to be something in it for me and him. Lord, help me to pick up my cross and go through this and find your will and be a good steward of that which you have given me. I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm not going to complain. I choose to do the right thing and have a good attitude every day. R remember, Jesus must have said every day, this, this is the best job you've got for me, God. These people, these people, you send me to these people who don't even like me. They don't, they don't understand a thing I say. My, the people you called me to work with, my staff, says, what? what? What were you talking about? We don't understand anything you're saying. These are the smartest folks you've given me. <laughs> Talk about a man who was frustrated with his job. And at the end... Who stayed with him? His mama. That's it. For the most part, that's it. John came back, but he ran away. <laughs> Never complained. Lord, make them one as you and I are one. Lord, have your way with you. You're going to bring glory to them. Just pray. And he realized my purpose is to sacrifice for their benefit. 
when you get finances, when God reveals to you money, now you become a good steward over it. You need to provide for your family before you provide for yourself, and you need to provide for the kingdom through the form of the tithe and the offering. If he revealed it, it's something you need to steward over well according to how he is prescribed in this Bible. Which brings me to my last point. Why has he revealed it? That you might obey him. This stuff that he reveals belongs to you and to your sons. It is supposed to go on forever. It's not just a stewardship that we have for our benefit. Our stewardship is to be given to our kids who then give it to their kids. And we're not talking about just an inheritance financially. We're talking about a stewardship of ministry and purpose in God. And it's supposed to be sustainable without end. To you, your sons, forever. That you might obey. The reason we have been revealed the things that God has shown us is because he wants us to better obey. So when you have been given finances, he says, I want you to obey me with them. When you have been given relationships, I want you to obey me with them. When you have been given the mission to preach this word, I want you to obey me with it. Everything he has revealed belongs to the sons of men and to their children that we might obey him and observe his law. I beg you, do not let anything that he has revealed Escape your obedience. Do what you are supposed to do daily because we're accountable as stewards to give some kind of report to him and bring increase. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace, please, that you would help us to obey you as we should. We thank you that you reveal your will to us. We are really grateful. I'm asking that you would give us the privilege of obeying you at the highest level. Loving people that are unlovable because you have revealed them to us. Caring for mission, preaching this gospel to our friends because you have revealed it to us freely we have received. 